Welcome to The Safety Break, the Whitewater Rescue Podcast. We're here to share stories of real river accidents and rescues and find expert advice on how to solve the problems you might encounter in the Whitewater River environment. I'm your host, Jack Diddy, an emergency medicine physician, whitewater paddler, and wilderness medicine educator. Together, I hope we can celebrate successful rescues and learn from our mistakes in a supportive environment. If you have a story to share of a non-fatal accident or rescue, send me an email at thesafetybreak at gmail.com or contact me on our Facebook page, The Safety Break. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and follow us on social media. I hope you learned something valuable in the show. is all in your head. At least it feels that way on the many sleepless nights leading up to the event. You visualize running the course over and over, trying to imagine connecting all of the tight moves leading up to the perfect line through the notch and into Gorilla, and then holding it all together through the slides to the finish line. It takes a lot of work to get into the physical and mental condition you need to pull it off. In our last episode, we heard about a practice lap gone wrong, with a very close call from first-time racer Ilya Smirnov. Check out that episode if you're just tuning into the podcast, or if you're unfamiliar and need a bit more of a description of the green race. At the Golly Festival last month, I crossed paths with Katie Dean, and she had some interesting things to say about her race preparation this year, and about her mental approach to running hard white water in general. Luckily, she agreed to come on here and tell us all about it. Katie is a top-tier athlete and a fierce competitor, and not just in the whitewater realm. With a background in martial arts training, a close bid in the last election cycle as a candidate for a U.S. congressional seat, and multiple-time Green Narrows racer, she is no stranger to high-stress situations. There's no big rescue story or accident in today's episode. I've just found it very interesting over the years to hear different paddlers' approach to managing the mental aspect of the sport, because it seems that we all have a different way to look at it. And the Green Race really brings all of that into focus. So here's Katie's take on it. I'm 37 years old. I live in Plano, North Carolina with my husband, Zach. Learned how to paddle on the Chattooga River. Been paddling since 2006, predominantly in the Southeast, traveling outside the Southeast every now and then. And um, I guess I consider myself a diehard weekend warrior. So I know you've been working hard getting ready for the green race this year. What's, what's been your experience with that race in the past? I've been a fair-weathered on-and-off racer with the green race since my first race of 2010. Uh, and I've done a handful of races over the years, 10, 11, 14, 15, 17, and 18. The last green race I did was 2018. And then since then, I uh, broke my collarbone, had a myriad of health issues, and uh, I'm looking to uh, make a pretty significant comeback this year. And what kind of preparation have you put into it this year? I've been doing pretty much throwing everything at the wall and to see what will stick. And I started the process about a year ago, about this time last year, I was the most out of shape I've ever been. I was in a high stress situation. I was burning the candle at both ends. I was a candidate for Congress 
and the 2022 primary, it derailed all of my health. My sleep was in the dumpster. Uh, my diet, I didn't think that I would ever be at the point where I could even consider doing the green race again. I just had really lost my identity as an athlete altogether. After the campaign, I made a very, very concentrated effort to feel good again as my baseline. And, you know, so I started systematically focusing on one thing at a time. I started with my diet and what I was eating, nutrition. While I was doing that, I was getting some light movement. And then I, I moved into really focusing on daily movement, building that habit for four to six weeks. And then I focused on my sleep, you know, systematically doing those things. You know, I lost 15 pounds. I've been in the gym consistently two days a week. Since January, I got really into breath work, and uh, that that has honestly been a game changer in terms of how I feel in my head, in my body, my ability to connect my mind to my body through my breath. Uh, you know, I feel, you know, mission accomplished. I feel, I feel a lot better. And so as I started feeling better, and I think around March or so, I started to feel enough progress where it's like, I think I might be able to put something together to give the green race a good show where, you know, I'm putting everything on the line uh, and really analyzing what my, my limitations have been in the past, whether it was I was in school, lived in a different state, my schedule. Uh, but predominantly the overarching theme that I've had throughout the years is that my fitness and stamina just hasn't been up to par. And so th that was my focus from, January, February through August. And then we've been full-fledged race training in the long boat, regardless of the six and a half inch water levels that we've had since, since August. So it seems like you've been putting in the hard work that's critical for a successful race out there. But with the low water, I know it's hard to get a real, uh, a real feel for the race course. Have you been running gorilla at these low levels lately? Oh, God, no. No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in self-preservation. And so, you know, that has been frustrating. I have not run gorilla in my long boat since race day 18. I did a bunch of slicey boating this summer down the green, had a really good summer in the full slice hit moves that I've never hit before. Felt, felt strong in that capacity and just, you know, being very playful in the boat. Uh, but you know, the levels are, Super, you know, all you can do is control the controllables. So we heard in our last episode about a bad pin at Go Left. What's been in your experience there lately? That one's pretty level dependent. I did a few runs around seven, just running the traditional line in the longboat, and, and that's pretty straightforward in your longboat. You know, it's not uh, nearly as hazardous as Hot Left, or I've run Go Straight in the past, but I think the log has changed and shifted and go straight is now uh, out, out of operation, out of, out of order. Uh, so I've never been a hot left racer. Uh, I've never done it before. And I gave it a go a few weeks ago. We'd gotten an evening or afternoon rain and it was eight inches and I went out, gave it a go and it did not go well. I came off the booth and drifted left really fast and had that very stereotypical line where you're too far left too soon, coming off the log, left to right, shoved up against the boulder, and you drop into the right pocket. 
And I managed to keep that straight and wiggle through the right slot. Uh, and I got to the bottom and Adam Herzog was like, you want to do it again? And, and I've been hiking laps on sections, you know, and I was like, yeah, I could, I could clean that up. If, if you've got the patience to wait for me to hike back up and the hike up for go left is atrocious. And so I went back up, came down and it was, I thought I had a better boost coming off the top and had a very similar line coming off the log through the slot. Peaked on the middle rock and I peaked on so hard. My bulkhead blew out. Like the rails for my bulkhead bent 90 degrees up and I was fortunate word to the wise foam your feet out. I had like six, at least six, maybe eight inches of foam in my feet. And I think it really kept my feet from getting stuck behind my bulkhead with the piton. So my feet blew out. I got trash in the hole, swam, you know. Yeah, so that seems to be a common occurrence lately. We've talked about gorilla and go left, but when it comes down to the actual day of the race, what gives you the most stress? Mine's probably internal. It's based on the fact that I've never put all of the pieces together. And so what, what gives me the most stress is being able to line up on a specific day at a specific time and put a good presentation together from, from top to bottom. And that doesn't mean I need to be perfect or flawless, you know, but I I would like to run through top to bottom with relatively clean. I mean, that's everybody's goal, right? And relatively clean lines. And my weak point tends to be coming through chiefs into gorilla uh, and where I am in terms of, fitness and strength and capacity to hold on to what I've got or to make something happen out of nothing, you know, in those uh, very urgent moments of must make moves. It's always blown my mind how exhausted and spent you feel by the time you get to gorilla, even though it's only three minutes or so into the race. It's, it, it is without a doubt a really hard race and the rapids in and of themselves you know, like gorilla are hard to do. It's hard to put them all together with clean lines from, from top to bottom. I, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night because I've been really focused on my sleep. <laughs> uh, but, but something that I've been working through is a high level of awareness for discipline of pace. So that when I'm coming through that discipline of pace at the top of the course to get down there quick enough and clean enough so that when I'm dropping through Chiefs into the top of Gorilla, that I still have composure. That I'm, I, I don't want to be in flight, fight, or freeze mode running through the notch. I want to have discipline of pace leading up to that point so that I'm giving myself better odds than what I've had in the past. What I have found through, you know, running sections of the course and, and timing it and we're running our GoPros, you know, we can analyze it after. If I come out of the gate at 50 to 60, maybe 70% of my stroke rate, and I'm running clean lines, that is faster than when I paddle max effort through that section. And I get to the bottom of thin cushion, you know, with, with a lot more composure and, and gas in my tank than my 90, 90 to 100% effort. You know, if I'm doing 100% effort through that section, I'm not going to have anything to hold on. I like this concept of pace discipline. 
One of the most successful U.S. wildwater racers of all time was Andy Bridge. He competed in the C1 wildwater events in the 80s and 90s and even won a World Cup championship in 1993. He was always famous because he could pull off negative splits in his races, which is really challenging to do. It takes a lot of mental and physical discipline. Back when I was racing, I would just go as hard as I could until the wheels fell off, which they often did. And in the green race, I always ended up getting stuffed into one of the eddies and the slides near the end. One of the things that you mentioned back when I spoke with you at the Gali was the mental discipline or mental toughness approach when paddling hard whitewater, not just as it relates to racing. Can you explain what you were telling me there? I've, I've got a, a phrase that I, I developed, I don't know, I started using this phrase not long after I started paddling, 2007, 8, 9. I don't, I don't know when I came up with it, uh, but I've had it for a long time. I call it red light, green light, get your mind right. And I've always held the mentality that your, your mental game on the water is a skill just as much as your fitness, just as much as your technical skills on the water. And so for me throughout the years, my mental game has been either my strongest, has been both my strongest asset and my weakest link. Uh, but for red light, green light, get your mind right. For me, it's just the checks and balances, um, you know, even outside of the race prep side of things, but just if I'm looking at running a big rapid uh, for uh, a self-assessment for where I'm at. So a red light is if, if I'm looking at something or considering it, whether it's putting on a river or running a specific rapid, whatever it may be, a red light is if I'm looking at something and I feel fear. And, and, and fear is indicative that you're going to come in and hesitate. Hesitation is the fastest way to get hurt, crash and burn, or, you know, create a dangerous situation on the river. So for me, a red light is symptoms of fear or just feeling, you know, like I don't got it. Uh, a green light is the opposite. It's full-fledged class fun. I feel absolutely confident. I'm excited to do it. Uh, you know, induced, you know, in complete flow state coming in, happy go lucky, full confidence coming in. It's going to be fun. That's a green light, you know. So, like, play boating down the green with low water with your friends in the summer, green light. Um, yellow lights are a little bit in between, you know. It's, you might be pushing your limit to, you know, your limit line to, to a new level that you haven't done before or, or getting back on something or trying something new and you're not quite sure how it's going to go. And through the assessment, if I'm looking at something and my heart rate is elevated and I start getting nervous and, you know, feeling like I'm just basic anxiety, I'm going to call it anxiety. Like I've got anxiety about whatever's going to happen. Uh, I have a process to calm that stuff down. And part, part of that process is if I can positively visualize myself hitting the move or doing the line, a, a, a visualization of, of looking at it from top to bottom and, and watching myself in my head, hitting each move that I need to make and having confidence that I can break it down into pieces and hit the moves. And then also intrinsic trust. 
I have a plan. I can execute my plan, but regardless of what happens on the backside, I trust my skills and my ability and my situational awareness to just make decisions subconsciously in fractions of a second where, you know, I can take care of myself amongst it. Uh, I call that the yeah, just basic reactionary paddling that I trust my reactionary skills. So I have to be able to visualize that I'm going to be able to do it. I have to have some level of intrinsic trust that I've got the skills to react appropriately regardless of what happens. And then the, the final component is if my heart rate's elevated, I need to be able to control, I need to be able to lower my heart rate on purpose. And I do that through uh, some different breath techniques. Um, some of them are some cyclic breathing. Sometimes it's just uh, diaphragmatic inhale and exhaling longer than I inhale and doing a few cycles of that. Um, some of it will be triangle breathing where you inhale, you'll hold for a few seconds, another long exhale, inhale, hold for a few seconds, you know, longer exhales in your inhales. And through that breathing process, I can lower my heart rate. And if I can do those things, uh, you know, then I can turn a yellow light into a green light and I'll go back up and get in my boat and do it. I don't think I've ever had a specific process like that. I've always just made a quick decision to either run a drop or to portage it. So maybe I've left some rapids behind that I could have run, but who knows? It can be a little bit of a process and it can take longer sometimes, you know, I, Zach knows me well enough now in the river where I'm like, I just need a, I, like, I need a minute. And he can tell, like, if I take longer then I'm leaning towards doing it and I'm just trying to work through my stuff. Um, if it's a red light, I, you know, I'm pretty quick to, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. I'll go get my boot and put it on my shoulder. Um, but it, it can be a little bit of a process, especially amongst the class five culture, which is just like, I'm just going to run it. There are times where I can be so analytical where I'm just like, you just gotta shut the fuck up, you know? And, uh, you know, when, when it comes to Dropping in the flow state, which I think is both people's goal, whether they say so or not, you know, we have peak performance when we are immersed in flow. And the river provides a wonderful, creative, artistic format to do it. And you can do it where you've got, uh, you know, flow going on with yourself. Uh, one of my favorite things is when there's group flow and everybody is elevating everybody. I had an experience like that on the golly a few weekends ago where there were four of us paddling downstream together and we, we legitimately had group flow going on and it was so much fun. And, and that, that level of playfulness where you can turn everything off is like, that's where I paddle the best is when I can, you know, I mean, I have a process, I go through the process, but then, you know, just being immersed in, in the playfulness of it, that's honestly, that's when I paddle the best. And that's one of my goals for through the process of getting ready for green race. Like I've got boxes I want to check and things I want to do, um, you know, but I'm, I'm going to go to Russell Fork this weekend and take a half slice down and do some joy laps, you know, and you, I, you don't want to get caught up taking it too seriously in terms of it overtaking your identity. <laughs> Yeah, at the end of the day, I think we're all just trying to enjoy the river in our own way. If the stress is really getting in the way of that, the, that might be a good clue, I guess, that you're in over your head on a particular rapid or river. 
a big part of this game is just trying to find the balance between the fun flow state and the stressed out survival mentality. One of the things that you mentioned that I've never really thought about is the process of breathing, but it, it sounds like there can be a lot to it. Can you tell me a little bit more about the breathwork practice that you've been doing? It started, I did martial arts when I was late teenager, early 20s. Uh, that was a career choice of mine for a little while. I thought I wanted to be a studio owner. And so I worked full-time in a martial arts studio. I was very dedicated to my training. And through that, there's a lot of mind-to-body connection through your breath. And then that was really applicable while I was learning how to kayak. Like, those skills were reasonably sharp while I was learning how to boat. Um, I went down a real rabbit hole. I read Breathe by James Nestor. And then I started working with a breath coach named Adam Spillman. He lives, he's a kayaker, class of kayaker with a phenomenal cancer survivor story, lives out West. And I learned about him through Isaac Levinson, just posting on his Instagram stories. And I'd, I'd started tooling around with breathwork exercises and just stuff I could find on YouTube or Google um, and some of the exercises that were in the back of the book. And so it's just good timing. I mean, I just lucked into it. It's good timing on my part for I saw Isaac's story and I was like, Oh, I've, I've been reading about it, researching it, playing around with a little bit. Of it, and I got connected with Adam. And then through that process, he's provided a lot of tools and resources uh, to, to continue. You know, I do a lot of self-dedicated work on it. Um, there's a few different angles you could take, but overall my takeaway over the last years, if you can increase your CO2 tolerance, and improve that, uh, then you are also uh, developing resiliency and physiological adaptations to deal with stress in a positive capacity. And so there's an app that I use called Stamina. Uh, Shout out to my friend Garrett who turns me on to it. And it's got CO2O2 tables that you can do every day that just, you know, it takes you through tables based on what your breath hold is. Uh, and you can build from there. Well, Katie, thanks for coming on here and explaining your approach to all of this. Before we go, are there any words of advice you'd like to pass along to some of the first-time racers out there? Getting ready for the green race is really hard. It's, I think that the, the process of, of the, that racers go through to put their laps together and like what Ilya experienced at, at Go Left, uh, there's there's such a wide margin that you're navigating where you can uh, experience a, a bad wreck that messes with your mental game or destroys your gear or injures you. Uh, that, that anybody that puts a jersey on and lines up the first Saturday of November, uh, that, that in and of itself, regardless of how their lap goes that day, is a huge ac- accomplishment. And it doesn't matter how many times you do it, it's hard every time. Getting to the starting line where they are healthy and ready, all the work and process that goes into getting to that point, uh, you know, it's it's a just I've got all the love and respect for fellow racers that that go through it and the camaraderie of the community. You come together, you trade notes, you share resources, you meet new people. You know, you go through the trials and tribulations together. Um, the that part of the process for me has been probably the most enjoyable. And I'm really grateful to be a member of this community with you and everybody else. 
that's it from Katie Dean. I can't wait to see how this plays out for her on the race course this year. I hope she tears it up. Thanks to Nell Fiedler for the cover photo for this episode. That photo shows Katie racing through the pit just below Gorilla, and her husband Zach standing in the water cheering her on. Zach is standing in the water there because he is one of the hardcore safety crew that shows up year after year, tethered into some ropes below Gorilla to try to catch the paddlers that are crashing and burning through the drop. It's some of the best rescue action you'll ever see. We're going to talk to some of this rescue crew in our next two episodes. I've got interviews with Tommy Hillicky, who organizes the river safety for the race, and Andy Grizel, who tries to fish people out of the slides at the screen machine. Keep listening next week for their stories. Thank you for listening to The Safety Break, the Whitewater Rescue Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and click follow on our Facebook page so that we know that you're out there. I'm also looking for more stories. If you know of an interesting non-fatal river accident or rescue, send me a few details by email, safetybreak at gmail.com. It doesn't have to be dramatic or life-threatening, just something that we all might be able to learn from. I'll see if we can turn it into an episode. Stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the river.